Hi there. This is Strength in the Details, a podcast that goes beyond reps, sets, and programming and focuses on the mental aspects of exercise, training, and performance. I'm your host, Dr. Anaja Newsom, owner and founder of Coaching Kilos. I'm an educator, exercise scientist, coach, and weightlifting athlete. With more than a decade of professional experience in sport and fitness, I've had the privilege of working with a variety of athletes and clients. And I truly believe that the impact of mental skills, motivation, and self-efficacy are often overlooked in our industry and underappreciated in exercise behavior change, sport performance preparation, and everyday coaching practices. So join me as I invite industry experts, elite athletes, coaches, and researchers to a conversation about the gritty details. Welcome back to another episode of Strength in the Details, where we go beyond the debate on reps, sets, and exercise programming, and get to the gritty details of what it takes to really find the strength you need to be successful in the gym or on the platform. I'm your host, Dr. Anaja Newsom, and I'm here to spend some time with you on another solo episode as we round out season one of this podcast. And I'm so grateful and so honored to have had the past few months of really having conversations, great conversations with athletes and coaches um, in sport, a variety of different sports, a lot of different experiences um, on things like mindset, mental toughness. Um, We've talked about body image, nutrition, stress, um, and the broader topic that continues to Uh, come up that I continue to think about is this idea of athlete well-being and the importance of athlete mental health. Um, I've received a lot of really good questions and DMs regarding performance anxiety and how to manage stress, and it really brought to light the prevalence or the importance of the psychology of sport and exercise. Um, In general, um, elite athletes, intermediate level athletes, and, and I would argue, you know, intermediate recreational level exercisers in general are are vulnerable to a wide array of mental health challenges, um, which largely is related to injury or fear of injury, overtraining, performance anxiety, burnout, anxiety, depression, those types of things. And I think that we largely report that Regular exercise and physical activity is so important for positive mental health in the general population. And it undoubtedly is, um, not doubting that at all, but there is a body of literature that establishes a connection between elite level or high level training um, and competition and psychological well being. For example, a 2016 narrative review suggests that elite level athletes are at a comparable risk of mental health disorders to that of the general population. And so I I wanna just make sure that we highlight some of the uh, protective factors or some of the concepts um, that are surrounding uh, mental health and athlete well-being. Um, I want to give a disclaimer. I'm not a licensed psychologist, and I want to make it very clear that the research that I'm looking at is, or the view or the lens that I'm looking at this through is through an a lens of exercise research and coaching and professional perspectives. And, and I think that we owe it to our ourselves as athletes, our, the athletes that work with us and trust us, that not only are we caring for their physical health and their training and progression in that manner, but we're also aware of some of those signs and symptoms that might be impacting uh, mental health and, and athlete well-being. 
I think it's really important that athletes, one, can identify um, when, when there are psychological influences on their physical training and, you know, most importantly, how to cope with them in a positive way, because undoubtedly it will impact training in some way, shape or form. And I think it's just really important for us to understand strategies and techniques for going about that. Um, athletes are vulnerable to mental health disorders and most of them go unnoticed. Um, and what I find interesting just as I'm observing and talking to athletes is that the impacts that are often observed are attributed to some sort of physical deficiency um, or some sort of ineffectiveness in the exercise or training program or their recovery. Um, take, for example, um, hey coach, you know, I warmed up and something just feels off, right? I feel slow or, hey, I noticed that my shoulders are super tight and I'm, I'm just not sure why. And we reflect and we brainstorm and it seems like for the most part, the possible causes that come up in conversations are attributed to maybe the programming is too heavy. Maybe I slept wrong or maybe there's something physical happening with me. Um, and I just think that there are the psychological um, or the mental aspects of training that are just often overlooked. Um, we have to remember that stress is the physical response to a conflict, whether, whether that conflict is emotional or whether it's mental or whether it's physical, it, it, it's a response to that conflict, whether it's real or imagined, whether it's perceived, whether it's something that is anticipated in the future, um, stress is both a physical response to conflict and a cognitive appraisal of that stressor. So when you perceive a threat or a stressor, the body releases a flood of adrenaline and cortisol, and there are physical changes like an increased heart rate, uh, stiffness in the muscles. Uh, we experience sweaty palms because of the increased blood sugar levels, um, and, and we equate those things to feeling anxious, but we don't really understand that that is actually impacting our training. These physical responses to stress can increase or decrease our strength. It can alter our speed. Uh, it can change our reaction time. And, and when we say, hey coach, I just, I feel slow. I feel like something is just off. Um, it could very well be. And it's that the stress, the, the stress response is your body's way of protecting itself and preparing for ultimately that fight, flight, or freeze that we, we talk about in um, psychology, behavioral psychology. Um, and, and I explain all of that uh, really just to bring up this key concept that your body's physical responses to stress do not change based on where that stress is coming from, right? So stress on the body from training as a result of lifting heavy weights or running distances or biking distances in the heat or the rain or the cold is the same physiological stress that you get from relationships, from your work, from your job, from your family, the only thing that changes is your behavior. And that changes based on your cognitive appraisal of that threat. There are positive stressors. Um, we call that eustress. Eustress is um, healthy. Uh, it, it's healthy to have you know, certain levels of eustress because it motivates us, right? It, it enhances our focus and our attention and it gets us excited. Um, it's positive when an athlete knows how to cope with 
positive stress, how to keep it under control and how to use it in a positive manner. Um, you know, how can a, a national level PR attempt be invigorating and exciting for one athlete? And that exact same scenario can be gut-wrenching and, and, and nerve-wracking for a different athlete. And, and what it comes down to is our subjective cognitive appraisal, our subjective experience. Um, and that's exactly what stress is. Now, I don't really want to go too far into stress and stress and stress management, things like that. I, I already had a really great conversation with Dr. Nick Martinez in an earlier episode. So go check that out. If you want to learn more about stress management and mental toughness and things like that, he does a really great job of breaking down how stress and the management of that stress can improve performance and, and specifically mental toughness. Um, but what I did want to talk about are some of those common stressors that are perceived as negative and that can impact exercise and training um, and performance um, and impact overall athlete well-being. So first, I want to say that I'm a huge advocate for help seeking and clinical guidance when mental health is involved. Um, you know, that's, that's something else we know. Help seeking behaviors among athletes are generally low. Um, so I believe that it's important as an adjunctive therapy for, you know, coaches and athletes to be aware of what's happening psychologically or from a mental health standpoint, um, so that they can seek help. They can seek professional treatment, but also there are some things that can be done inside of our training environments, um, things that we can practice, things that we can bring into our own training and performance and exercise sessions um, outside of a clinical session um, or outside of a clinical um, setting. Uh, there are a variety of individual level stressors that are very intrapersonal to us. And those are things like self-confidence, uh, self-efficacy, self-esteem. Um, for example, um, body dissatisfaction is, a, is very prevalent in athletes that especially that compete in weight class sports, because there's this innate um, hyper awareness of your body weight and how competitive that makes you or how not competitive that makes you in your sport. Um, and it doesn't help that diet culture within sport and exercise media creates this unnecessary and highly stressful expectation of aesthetics. And, you know, I, I got to speak with Danny Palmer about aesthetics and, and body image and how that negatively impacts us as athletes. And, and, you know, one of the things we talked about is that, you know, you're supposed to be super lean, but also super strong. You're not supposed to eat carbs, but you're also supposed to train five days a week. And there's all of these things that, you know, social media and our society have created. And it's very unreasonable. Um, it's, it's, it's extremely unreasonable and it leads to negative body image and not just in female identified athletes, you know, at one point negative body image or poor body image was really attributed to female athletes, but both male and female athletes report negative body image, uh, poor relationships with food overtraining. Um, and, you know, generally female athletes identify as being, you know, they, they perceive that they're overweight or, or too heavy and they need to be thinner. Um, males tend to under-report weight and feel that they need to gain weight. 
Um, body dysmorphia is a huge issue, but you know, body dissatisfaction is often the result of a combination of lack of knowledge and incongruent self-concept versus social expectations. So, you know, education, athlete education is super important. A recent research study actually demonstrated that athletes are typically satisfied with their own bodies, uh, within their own self-concept, but they're not um, satisfied with their bodies within the scope of their sport. So there's like this weird incongruence or juxtaposition about how you feel about what your body looks like and what you feel your body can do. And then it changes based on your sport or your sport um, training context. Um, athletes and in individual sports where specific body types are considered superior were shown to have higher levels of depressive symptoms, um, and it is important that coaches and teammates are very careful when discussing food, when discussing dieting and weight cutting strategies. Um, and what has been successful, at least in terms of my own practice with athletes, has been to really focus and hone in on athletic performance and the objective data needed to achieve that goal. So when I say objective data, when we discuss the actual goal, we discuss the physiological requirements necessary to achieve that goal, right? So that helps remove some of the emotional reactions that we might have to needing to gain weight or lose weight or maintain weight. Um, that, that helps destigmatize some of the relationships that we have with certain macronutrients. Um, for example, if an athlete comes to me, they're anxious or stressed about a sudden weight gain, um, we might instead focus on the, the phase of training that we're in right now and how strength training can cause inflammation, how strength training can cause excessive water retention. We might discuss, you know, uh, how even if they gained weight, what is your body fat percentage compared to your lean muscle mass? And what does that mean for total absolute body weight? Um, and then take the time to educate that athlete. Um, I've learned that athletes are sponges. And a lot of times we really focus on the physical aspects of their training, the exercise programming, um, how it's going to make them stronger, what periodization is. But we, we don't focus on the objective data points of what's happening physiologically with their bodies. Um, and because it is objective data, it's not really based around how I feel that you should look or how you feel you should look. It's based on, this is your goal. This is what you have said is your goal. Physiologically, this is what is required to get there. Um, athlete education around human physiology, exercise physiology, and nutrition sciences could go a long way in, in helping us reduce body image issues, body dissatisfaction, um, and improve athlete well-being in general. Self-perceptions are super, really super, super important. And I think we all understand that, but we need to have some tangible um, strategies and tools for helping our athletes identify where their challenges lie, where their issues are, kind of where their sticking points are. Um, as you know, higher self-esteem is associated with lower levels of anxiety, greater optimism. Uh, but one, the, one, of the ones, one of the things that I found most interesting is that higher self-esteem is actually associated with the ability to objectively problem solve. And I think that that, is, that will go a long way in helping our athletes improve their well-being. Um, kind of want to transition a little bit here into sports-specific factors that might influence athlete well-being. Um, so I've done some research on sports-specific anxiety models, um, and several research studies have highlighted that 
the ways that sports specific stressors can negatively impact athlete well-being. So really looking at performance anxiety, uh, fear of, of athletic injury, and as some of the research uh, more recently co- has come out about forced retirement or what they're terming crisis retirement, meaning, you know, you're forced out of your athletic career um, earlier than what you anticipated or earlier than what you were preparing for. And so there are these concerns around poor performance or uh, athletic injury and concerns for poor performance is one thing, but not really necessarily the most accurate depiction of what performance anxiety is. Performance anxiety really, really um, an an escalated level of arousal based on an environment, based on competition. And there are models of anxiety performance that illustrate the ways that anxiety can impact that performance. So some levels of anxiety are important for competition. We we actually need some sort of stimulus um, to elicit performance and elicit some sort of behavior. Um, the drive theory is one of the most common models um, and the inverted U theory is another popular explanation. Um, so the drive theory basically says that, you know, your, your increased levels of arousal or stimulus or, um, you know, whatever that is, coupled with a positive cognitive appraisal will increase the dominant response or increase your um, automatic behavior, which is why we practice and perform really good technique because when our arousal level is high or when that anxiety level is high or when, you know, we're in that competition environment, we're going to resort back to what we automatically do. We're going to resort back to that learned behavior, the thing that we rehearse the most. Um, on the other hand, the inverted U theory says that, you know, there is this moderate optimal level of arousal um, or stimulus that's best for performance. And any increase or decrease above or below that optimal level will decrease our performance outcomes, right? So, you know, there is this kind of threshold at which we should be uh, performing. And that's unique to everyone. Every athlete um, is going to be different. I remember uh, one particular day in training, I'm warming up and I'm, I'm kind of just going through the motions. I'm, I'm not really focused on the training for the day and everything about the training session just feels off, but I can't really pinpoint exactly what's happening. I'm missing, I'm missing lifts and consistently just like failing. And, and I, like every athlete out there, I miss a lift and I immediately look over to my coach. I'm looking for an answer. I'm looking for a cue. I'm looking for something. And his response was, you know, it was, he was very serious at the time, but it's kind of, kind of become like this inside joke was essentially to the effect that you're, you're not trying, you're, you're not giving enough effort. You're not mentally and physically stimulated enough for this activity right now. And he's like, that's, that's the problem. There was nothing technically wrong. I knew what lifts I was supposed to be doing. I was pretty pretty much capable of doing it. It was simply being understimulated in the moment. And as a result, not actually producing the energy and force needed to be successful. Like that's it. And and that's the inverted U theory applied in a very uh, transparent story for you. Uh, So people need stimulation. They need arousal from their environment. That could be the task at hand that creates that excitement. It could be the teammate uh, teammates or, or coaches that are are exciting you, that are energizing you, whatever it is, you need some sort of stimulation, but too much of that stimulation, too much of that stress, too much of that arousal will cause errors. It will cause our um, perf- 
performance to diminish. Um, and that's what the catastrophe theory says. Um, it suggests that increases in arousal or stress or a stimulus, whatever you want to call it, it results in incremental increases or improvements in performance up until a certain point. And at that point, too much hype, too much stress, you know, the, your performance is going to plummet. So as an athlete, you, you have to kind of be aware of your environment, your music, the conversations that are happening in the gym, all of those things act as a stimulus. Too much of that will negatively affect your training and performance. Too little of it, you know, will cause you to not be able to perform uh, as well as you probably could. So, you know, for example, if you're in practice, are you focused on the program or are you distracted? Are you, you know, performance anxiety be, can be reduced by training in an environment that, um, you know, mimics competition that provides that optimal level of arousal for you. It could, it could mean training with teammates that can match your energy that you need to be successful. Um, it might mean that you are hyper-focused and hyper-aware of practicing routines from how, how you wear your knee sleeves, how you take your warm-up, how you chalk up for a lift, you know, what type of pre-workout do you use, what type of uh, pre- uh, training nutrition do you, you, you have, um, how do you arrange the weights before you lift? <laughs> um, the more experience you have, the more aware you become of, of the types of stressors that you're going to encounter and, um, use those stressors to positively impact you. Um, and you know, the type that might negatively impact you and you can even practice coping skills and coping mechanisms for how to do that. One of the common questions that I get is, you know, in training, things aren't feeling right. When do I know, how do I know when to back off versus how do I know when to push forward? Um, and I would say this, I think it's unique and individual to every single athlete. And you start to know your body, you start to know, um, whether something is psychologically holding you back, something is mentally holding you back versus, you know, you just need to put in a little bit of extra effort. You need to push through, you know, the discomfort or push through the, the feeling of it just being heavy and, and maybe you're tired, maybe you're fatigued. I would say chat with your coach, make a, you know, just like you write in your training journal, the makes and the misses and the weights that you're using, the distance that you're running, the, the, the speed that you're biking, write down how you're feeling, write down what you ate that day, write down how well you slept or didn't you know, what type of macronutrients you've had, um, how much water have you had, write all of those things down and keeping a training log is not just about the physical training, but it can also be a really rewarding practice to um, include the mental training and the mental aspects of training in your log. And you, you will kind of see trends and you can kind of see when things are derailed. What were some of those things that led up to it? Um, the last thing that I will say is that your response or your reactions in training, whether you feel off or you feel fatigued, it's not a, it's usually not a result of what you did that day. So sometimes I, you know, I have athletes that'll say, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. I feel a little sluggish because I didn't eat breakfast. And that might very well be the case. Um, it, they might say, you know, I had to stay up late last night studying for an exam. And that might have been the case. But usually a res physiological response to stress is over a period of time. And so there's a lot of things that kind of led up to that. And I, you, you, I want you to be aware of that as an athlete that 
stress can be acute, but normally chronic stress is what really impacts our training in negative ways. So each athlete that I work with requires something different from them as far as um, helping them manage stress, helping them um, find those optimal levels of stress or stimulus or arousal in their environment. Environment. Each of them have a different focus. They have different levels of excitement and competition. Some sit very quietly. Others, I basically have to pin them to a chair and hope that they stay focused. Um, and so one important thing to note as an athlete and as a coach is, you know, I'm sharing this, that the stress isn't in itself bad. Arousal in it, in and of itself is not bad. Stimulus in an environment, getting hype in an environment in it, in and of itself is not bad. It's the cognitive appraisal of that stress. It is how you perceive that stress. You perceive that stress as, as excitement or a threat. Um, and so negative cognitive appraisal of a stressor um, is often displayed as anxiety or anxiousness. When you combine that with high levels of physiological arousal, that's when you get poor performance. But if you have high physiological arousal coupled with a positive cognitive arousal um, or appraisal, that often results in improved performance. So take a listen. When you are in that moment, you're preparing for a competition, you're preparing for that big race, um, you know, the PR attempt, whatever it is, that new exercise, you can use techniques to help shift your cognitive appraisal from negative. This is going to hurt. I might get injured. I might miss it. This is going to be embarrassing if I miss it to something positive. This is a great opportunity to show them what I'm made of. This is exciting to have my family and friends cheering for me. I get the opportunity to win a medal, to, to lift for my country, whatever that positive reference, it will help you kind of shift your brain from a negative cognitive appraisal to a positive cognitive appraisal. And that's what's important in managing stress in managing performance in managing anxiety. I hope all of this makes sense. And there's, there's one other thing that I wanna talk about um, or share with you as it relates to athlete well-being, and that involves the training environment. I think that's something that is very much under our control as athletes, as teammates, as coaches. The training environment is so key and so critical to athlete well-being. Low social support is often noted as a key risk factor for general mental illness, and even more so in athletes. So low social support, several reviews have often um, also mentioned that Low support from teammates creates feelings of isolation and ego-involving environments. And there are two types of environments that are effectively created by group leadership like coaches and maintained through different social dynamics throughout the team. So this is very much understood in team sports, but it's less talked about in individual sports. In team sports, you, you see a ton of team building, a, a ton of group camaraderie uh, related to the team and, and traveling together and things like that. But you don't see this or talk about it as much in individual sports or activities where individuals are only reliant on themselves for a good performance. And so motivational climates are you know, often different in individual sports. And so motivational climates, when I say that, it refers to the way that um, athletes perceive rewards or feedback. And there are two primary types of uh, motivational climates. There are task-involving climates and ego-involving climates. So task-involving climates prioritize and, and, and 
uh, categorize success as a self-reference criteria. So in other words, it's you against you. You are improving your mile time, therefore you are successful. You are improving your push-up form, so therefore you are successful. Uh, you, you're improving your bench, your squat, whatever it is, and therefore you are successful. You're comparing yourself against you and really just focusing on being the very best athlete that you can be. Um, on the other hand, there are environments, training centers, clubs, fitness centers, where it's very ego involving. And so the judgment of competence or success is based on some normative behavior or some, some group performance. Now I'm judging myself against the other 81 kilo lifter in my club, or I'm judging myself against the other girl that is running a, a half marathon, or I'm judging myself against every other person that I see touch a dumbbell in the, on the weight room floor. So there are two different types of motivational climates. And I would argue that there are some times where both are necessary and important for, you know, group cohesion, for uh, improving competence and, and, and really pushing performance. But a, a 2015 systematic review by Harwood, uh, Keegan, Smith and Rain concluded that ego involving training environments are associated mostly with maladaptive coping mechanisms. They're, it's mostly associated with poor self-perception, amotivation, and decreased uh, duration or longevity in sport. That means you know, a club or a fitness facility or a coach or a trainer that's consistently creating these norm reference or these group reference criteria in which to determine the success of their athletes, it, it, they're creating this unrealistic expectation of, of performance. And, and that contributes to this overall, you know, just negative feeling, negative, you know, poor performance um, and, and really impacts self-esteem and ultimately athlete uh, well-being. Uh, it's often associated with depressive symptoms, both clinical and non-clinical. Um, and coaches should be very clear and consistent with establishing uh, more task-involving training or task-oriented goals that are appropriately challenging for the athlete um, that will help them improve that self-advocacy, that positive self-concept um, and mastery. You know, I mean, it's hard in this era of social media where essentially it's out there for you to consume constantly. How well do you stack up against every other person in your sport? How often are they training? How much are they lifting? Um, and so social media, while it has its positives, we got to be very careful about how we're using it, how we're consuming it. It also creates this access for very easily um, identified norm reference mastery behaviors that are sometimes unrealistic. You know, athlete well-being is highly impact, impacted by um, positive self-evaluation and recognition. And we have to be able to create that within our environments, within our clubs to promote athlete well-being. As athletes and coaches, uh, we also have to remember that, you know, progress is not going to be linear. Um, learn to embrace the journey to where you're going and focus on the task at hand um, to ensure that your, your biggest competition is yourself. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day that talked about the, the journey or the effort um, is over the actual outcome of a behavior. It's in the effort that the body actually releases dopamine, um, which is, you know, the happy, happy drug, if you want to call it that, but it's, it's effort um, and it's positive effort that actually
actually releases that dopamine that reinforces positive behaviors. And so if we can, you know, change our mindset about how much effort we're putting in and not necessarily the outcome of what we're doing, that will help us, you know, kind of re- reinforce those positive behaviors and improve athlete well-being by focusing on the journey, the effort, the process of becoming better in sport. Um, I'll leave you with this. Uh, one other thing that I'm really a, a, an advocate for is mental health literacy and help seeking behaviors among athletes. I think it's undervalued. I think it's not discussed enough. Um, in youth sports, it's incredibly critical. Coaches and parents have a, a big influence on youth athlete development, long-term development. And I think mental health literacy is a big part of that. So um, creating awareness can help address mental illness and improve athlete well-being. I think that we have to remove the negative stigma associated with seeking psychological support. And there, there are professionals out there that can help having, you know, psychological, psychological support, um, in the form of, you know, therapy counselors is really, really important. And as teams and organizations and within the exercise profession, having sports psychologists who are trained to provide these tools on stress management and, um, imagery and, um, positive self-concept and, those types of things, goal setting, positive goal set, setting can actually help develop long-term athlete well-being. Because remember, your longevity in this sport is highly dependent on you remaining in the sport, healthy, physically, and mentally. So, so there's so many athletes that just walk away from our sport or sustain these serious injuries as a result of, you know, burnout or, or overtraining or from stress and anxiety. And, and I, I really hope that we can help to kind of reimagine the conversation and position it in a different light so that we can really focus on longevity in the sport. So I hope that you found some gems in this episode to help you or to help support your very, very strong friend. Uh, This is the end of season one, and I have had a blast. I'm humbled. I'm honored by all of the support that the Strength in the Details podcast has received, and I'm so excited to bring you season two in just a few short months. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Strength in the Details. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Follow us on Instagram at Strength in the Details for more information on future episodes and guests. Also, drop us a note. Let us know what topics you'd like to hear. You can support the podcast by liking and sharing content on social media or subscribing to the YouTube channel for free. You could visit the link in the bio, Strengthen the Details, to donate to production costs or visit coachingkilos.com forward slash shop for new merch and represent Strengthen the Details in the gym or on the go. Thanks so much for listening and we'll chat again soon. Until next time, may your squats be strong and your lifts be big. Here's to going beyond the reps and getting to the strength in the details.